Hello, hello. Welcome to the Confident Communication Formula Audio. So today we are going to be covering some very important topics. The first being able to manage anxiety and self-doubt effectively. Ultimately being able to have a positive, loving relationship with ourselves and what empathy looks like. And then third, how we can identify what we need and feel and communicate that confidently with others that are significant in our life, whether it be a romantic partner, whether it be a family member, a friend, or even a boss or colleague. These are really valuable skills that we need for our holistic well-being. And so to start off, what is anxiety and self-doubt? Typically, anxiety can come through in many different ways, whether it be our thoughts, our emotions, our body sensations, or even our past life experiences that have affected us negatively, or even present day experiences that are affecting us negatively. Another piece regarding self-doubt that it can actually create more anxiety or be the cause of our anxiety is really second-guessing ourselves questioning ourselves, being in this indecision, having this perfectionism, controlling, procrastination, this I'm not good enough or I'm not blank enough sort of situation, and really operating in all sorts of other ways like avoidance and moving away from or maybe even behaviors that aren't really the best for us. And this can actually reduce our self-confidence and make us question ourselves and beat ourselves up or have this inner critic, this inner bitch that kind of, you know, tells us off or says that we did this wrong or that wrong or or even feel hopeless, this kind of, ah, oh, woe is me, you know, I can't get unstuck from this experience or even what if thinking, what if, what if, and then we never answer the question. So these sorts of things bump up against each other, our anxiety and our self-doubt bump up against each other and really diminish our self-confidence and our self-worth and our self-love. And so some of the things that can help shift us out of that one is an exercise and a practice called mindfulness, which is really allowing yourself to be the observer of your thoughts, the observer of your feelings, and the observer of your body sensations, rather than feeling like you are your thoughts, or you are your feelings, or you are your physical experience of you. And how we can practice mindfulness is about being presently aware non-judgmentally. Now, what does this mean? A lot of times when our focus of attention is in the past, we can feel depressed, either uh, why did I do it this way, or regret, or feeling guilt, or shame of, oh, I wish I hadn't, or I wish this didn't ex happen to me, or something that in the past that no longer is present that we miss or we long for, such as grief and loss. Now, we experience several losses in our lives, and if we either didn't have the skill sets growing up or even 
feel capable of managing it today, it can be a real struggle, especially if we've used avoidance to try to deal with it short term and then, you know, putting it off. So the past can lead to this depression, whether it's something that we miss that we want or something that happened that we regret. Now, the other focus of attention that we can pull ourselves into is anxiety, which is very much future thinking, like what if, what next, Um, what about this, or uh, the expectations, or pressure, or demands that we put on ourselves, and moving forward, very much in in the future focus. And this can pull us out of the present, and really, quite honestly, peace is in the present. And there is a present of the moment in the present moment. So it's really a gift. And so to be able to bring ourselves back to our breath and bring ourselves back to a focal point in the present moment, our senses, what we hear, see, smell, touch, taste, bringing ourselves back to our breath, or even having a focal point to bring ourselves back to, this can really help train us to start to become the observer of our thoughts, feelings, and body sensations, as opposed to being at the reaction to or getting lost in or trying to fight against them. So this is really the first initial step in order to truly begin the process of managing anxiety and self-doubt because it allows us to create a little bit of space between us and our experience, us and our thoughts, us and our feelings, us and even our body sensations. And just bringing ourselves back to the present moment and really anchoring ourselves into our breath. Just the rise and fall of our breath. Bringing ourselves back to the moment anytime that we get pulled into our you know, fighting our thoughts or getting lost in our thoughts and just labeling it a thought or having a thought and then bringing ourselves back to our breath or labeling the emotion that we're experiencing and bringing ourselves back to our breath. Rather than saying, I am sad, it's, oh, I'm noticing a feeling of sadness and then just bringing ourselves back to our breath. And what this can do is this can really slow us down Because a lot of times one thought leads to ten thoughts. If we're not consciously aware of it, we don't even realize why we're feeling the way that we're feeling. But this practice, setting the tone for your day, really allows us to start being in the driver's seat of our lives rather than feeling like we're in the passenger seat or the back seat or stuck in the trunk with our hands tied and just, you know, at the, you know, out of control in the process. So this really just allows us to be really grounded in the present and to really support ourselves. Because if we can actually be mindful and present, and even just practicing this five minutes a day, or even practicing mindfulness throughout our day, such as washing our dishes mindfully, getting connected with all our five senses, or even walking mindfully, or even engaging with another person in conversation mindfully. A difference between being mindful in conversation and mindless in conversation, is when somebody's talking to you, are you thinking about what your response is going to be? Or are you actually just focusing on your breath, looking at them, and just listening to their words? 
Or are you listening to their words, making an interpretation of what it means and what they're saying and what this and that means and then have a story in your head? That would be mindless. And mindfulness is where you're just present and you're listening to the words and you're not attaching any meaning or story to it, but you're just present in the moment. And you'll find that you'll have a different relationship with those people in your life and even that relationship with yourself. And you can practice this five minutes a day um, or even throughout the day. Now, a lot of things too in our environment can pull us out, such as being on our phone, for example, or texting, or being online. This can actually train our mind to be very distracted. And these patterns of behavior that pull us out of the present moment, we have to really protect our energy around. Because a lot of times there are you know, so many demands, and if we're just kind of on autopilot going through life, we may be we may have certain habits and patterns of behavior that actually are creating anxiety for us and stress for us or even creating self-doubt. So what I'd like you to do is, there is an exercise here, but I'd like to add an additional one for you in this audio series as well. So what I'd like you to do is write down a list of all the things that contribute to your anxiety, whether it be certain patterns of thought or certain things that happen throughout your day or certain patterns that you notice that you do that create anxiety for you. For example, running late or or, um, overgiving or mm, trying to people please. Like what are those things that create anxiety or suppressing your feelings? So I'd like you to write a list of that for yourself. And for right now, you can just write that at the top of a piece of paper, and then after this exercise or this audio series, you can go ahead and and expand upon that. And then on another piece of paper, I'd like you to explore self-doubt. What are those patterns of behavior that make you question yourself or second-guess yourself? Or what are those thought patterns or those examples that trigger that self-doubt? And I'd like you to look for themes. What are those themes? And write all those down. So now I'd like us to move into self-love. And self-love is really pivotal and key for our well-being. If we don't have a good relationship with ourselves, if we tend to be judgmental or beat ourselves up or put pressure on ourselves or shame ourselves or ignore our needs, or don't have really good self-care, or compare ourselves to others, any of these, or or even do certain behaviors that can be counter-effective for our well-being, then I'd like you to look at where is it in your life that you are being unloving to yourself, either in words and actions, and writing a list of those patterns down. And then in another column to the right of it, what are those patterns of behavior, ways that I can talk to myself that would be loving? And so I'd like you to spend some time after this talk to go ahead and expand upon that so that you can start really becoming intimate with yourself. Because self-love 
is really about being intimate with ourselves and having a more loving, compassionate, and nurturing relationship with ourselves. And if our parents didn't model that, or if we don't experience that for ourselves, within ourselves, and we have a destructive relationship with ourselves, then then what, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to grow in our capacity of self-love. Because oftentimes we can seek outside of ourselves for love to fill this empty void or these external things that maybe short-term give us joy or give us that quick fix of feeling good enough, like achieving something or accomplishing something or getting our needs met in that moment from that person or trying to control or trying to caretake. All these patterns of behavior can you know, be very short-lived because they are dependent upon things outside of ourselves. But if we really take the time to do the inner work of self-love, and, you know, I'd like you to start with that first exercise to start the process, but this is really a wonderful way to build upon each other, to be able to first know what gets in our way of self-love, what are our patterns, what would be more loving towards ourselves, And then what are those actions that we can start to take to really nurture that relationship with ourselves? I'll give you an example. A way that you can begin this process is just imagining yourself as a little girl. A little girl that is five years old or four years old. And if you were to make a mistake, how or that five-year-old were to make a mistake, If you were to be loving and compassionate to that five-year-old little girl, how would you talk to her? Would you say, it's okay, you're learning. That's wonderful that you you tried, that you took a risk, that you, you put in the effort because now you know one way that it doesn't work and you are resilient and strong enough to know that you can keep going and and learn and try to figure out the next way, the next step to take or another way that might work. And how wonderful that you took a risk because that means that you're, you're living, that you're engaged and that it's normal to make mistakes. I make mistakes and it's okay because that's how we learn and grow. So that might be a way, that's just an example of how you can have that loving, nurturing relationship with our, with yourself. Another way is when we feel vulnerable, right? Like I'm going to this new environment with new people that I don't know and I feel really anxious and unsure. So how would you talk to a best friend that is dealing with that? Would you say, oh, get over it. You know, you're, you're making a big deal out of nothing or push yourself or, or avoid, don't even go. Or would you say, hey, you know what? I'll be there with you the whole time. I'll be right by your side. I know that sometimes it's scary and uncomfortable to step outside your comfort zone. And you're not alone. And it's okay. And I love you. And I'm here for you. And it's okay. You're going to be just fine. And there's there are going to be other people and there are other people that feel the same way and maybe even other people at that party that have the same feelings that I'm feeling right now. 
And so that's okay. And it's okay to be scared. And it's okay to actually move past your fear and be brave and be courageous. So that would be another example of self-love. Because oftentimes we can collapse. We can collapse and retreat or avoid or beat ourselves up. And honestly, none of them work. So if you start really this the second step of having a new relationship, a new conversation with yourself from this nurturing, maternal, loving place, you are going to build up your confidence and you're going to feel stronger. You're going to feel more capable. You're going to feel more self-assured and you're going to feel a sense of inner peace. And obviously there are so many other examples and tips and resources that I could give to you. I could be on the this call forever because there's so many different things to build upon from this starting point with anxiety, you know, managing anxiety and self-doubt and self-confidence and self-love. But this is a a beginning state um, that can really start you on the right path towards self-love. The next piece I want to cover is self-empathy, which is similar to what I was describing before. And you'll see that there's a an exercise for you to go through to really go to some of those wobbly, vulnerable places and how could you talk to yourself with more empathy and love? So you can expand upon that there as well. The next step that I'd like to cover is the next piece, which is communication, confident communication. And in order for us to be really confident communicators, we need to really know what we're feeling being able to identify it, and what we're needing. And oftentimes, if we grew up in a home that maybe people weren't emotionally available or emotions were not really encouraged or parents didn't really model any other emotion than anger or we were shamed for having feelings or we felt like we didn't want to burden people with our feelings, or we felt that we should be strong and deal with them on our own. All sorts of different stories that we tell ourselves that suppress our relationship and our self-awareness and intimacy with our feelings and needs. So this is really the first starting point. It really starts with ourselves and being able to get really clear on what we feel and what we need in those raw, vulnerable, wobbly moments of our lives. And oftentimes we may want to move away from it, avoid it, push it away, or just get angry at the situation and and not really deal with it. But this allows you to really become powerful. So I gave you a checklist for your needs and for your feelings, and I'd like you to refer to this whenever you are experiencing a moment of challenge. So you can start to get really clear at identifying what your feelings are and what your needs are because these are the building blocks for the next very important step which is confident communication. So the next piece once you've reviewed that and giving yourself time to reflect on that you can move on to this next step which is confident communication. This is about interpersonal effectiveness skills. This is about being able to regulate your emotions as what I suggested in the 
um, regulating your anxiety and your self-doubt and even going through that exercise that I provided for you and how to manage that more effectively in regulating your emotions and so on. You're, you're going to be able to have all the building blocks in place so that all that emotional drama, all those patterns that don't work are set aside and you can actually be really clear. Your energy can be really clear and really open where you can actually just have a confident conversation with somebody else and be really present. So, and once again, each of these pieces build upon each other. So if you jump ahead and you try to jump into the confident communication without doing some of these building blocks that I've mentioned, it'll get all messy. It'll get all blurry and yucky. And I want to save you from that. So definitely do one step in front of the other. They all build upon each other. So this last piece of confident communication, I've given you an exercise that will allow you to have really effective interpersonal communication skills. And another little caveat that I'd like to add to that, whether it be a romantic partnership, I think I use an example of a romantic partnership in the, in the exercise, but really it's conversations with anybody significant in your life, friends, family, colleagues, a boss, even your conversation with yourself uh, is really, really key. So another exercise that I'd like to highlight is the first step really in confident communication is the first step is identifying what it is that is concerning you in the moment. So, and being just, just purely factual, not getting all your interpretations and perceptions and your, your judgments all in the way, but really the factual information. So for example, when you said X and quote unquote, or when you responded in a harsh tone, so that's factual. What would not be factual would be when you said this and didn't really care about me and you don't give a, uh, you know, a shit about me, that's an interpretation. Or when you say, oh, you're driving me crazy. You know you're doing it on purpose. This is an interpretation. However, if you say, when you are yelling and screaming like that, now it's factual because it's, it's based in fact. So that's the first step, step one. Step two is I feel X, and you have your checklist. So you can actually go back to your little cheat sheet of your checklist, I feel, and then identify your actual feelings. Don't sidestep this, this part. Don't, don't just stick with anger or frustrated. Go deeper and have a more intimate conversation with yourself and the person. So I feel the emotion, fill in the blank, that it could be one, two, or three feelings. I would narrow it down to three just to keep it contained so it doesn't get too overwhelming for the listener that's taking in the information and for you, the person sharing. And then the next part is because my need for, and then you refer back to your checklist of your needs, because my need for, and then you identify what it is that you need, because my need for connection, support, partnership, etc., was not being met. And then the fourth step is in the future, could you, and then you make your request 
you make a really clear, clean request. So this is a really incredible way to have confident communication. It's really clear, it's, it's non-defensive, it's specific, it's good for you because what it allows you to do is really honor what your experience is, what your feelings are, what your needs are, and what your request is. It allows you to stay in your power. And oftentimes in our communication, we can get so much into being dependent upon the response or convincing or persuading the other person that our whole needs, feelings, and experience goes out the window because we're, we're really just trying to control the other person or persuade the other person, or influence the other person, or defend ourselves against the other person, or fight against the other person, and we're not even staying connected and mindful with ourselves. And so this structure just really allows you to stay in your power, stay confident, stay clear, communicate effectively, and have a higher likelihood, honestly, a higher likelihood of getting your needs met while at the same time maintaining the relationship. And sometimes the current strategy when we don't use this approach, we either try to be right and make the other person wrong, or we prove our point but we lose the relationship, or we suppress our point and maintain the relationship but really we're just resentful underneath. So that's the alternative. <laughs> and I'm sure none of you want that. I know I don't. That that just seems pretty stinky. So um, just not, not fun. <laughs> so I'd like you to try this exercise and with, start off with somebody that would be really receptive and practice with people that would be really receptive and then test it out with people that maybe are a little bit more challenging in your life. And just do it, go into the conversation with the intention not to get them to change or be, do it X, Y, and Z what you want. But do it for yourself. Just do it simply for being courageous and brave and authentic and confident and fully self-expressed. Because really, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter the other person's response. Although, obviously, it would be nice if those people that are important to us are responsive and receptive. And if they aren't, and if we find that the majority of people in our life are not open and receptive to our needs and feelings and honoring us and respecting us and loving us, then that's a, a whole additional training probably because there's something in your self-love that is allowing you to stay in some of those spaces that are not serving you anymore. And if that's a struggle, then obviously we can, we can work on that. Um, any of the pieces of what I've shared here today, if there are any pieces around confidence, around courage, around self-love, around anxiety and self-doubt, I really am looking forward to chatting with you on our 30-minute strategy session because that will allow you to really unpack what's in the way and to have me come alongside you and to support you from where you are to get you to where you want to go. So thank you so much. I really hope that you enjoyed this, this talk and really get a lot of value from this Confident Communication Formula and audio series. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.